Hi, I'm Kane, and I've always been a storyteller. Whether it be through my passion as a singer-songwriter or working as a journalist, I've always been drawn to crazy stories and telling them to my friends. But there are some stories that haven't been told quite enough. So grab a seat, a drink, and hunker down as we delve into the realms of those forgotten stories. Welcome to Breaking Bard. Stories untold, tales that we've spun Quite a few missing, where have they gone? Come fill your mind with ghosts of the past Now that we're breaking bad 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 Hello everyone and welcome back to Breaking Bad. Welcome back Maeve, my lovely guest who has been with us on the first four chapters of this new story. Maeve, how are you? Hi Kane, hi listeners, I'm great, thank you. Good to be back again. Oh, we love having you. Um, how's your week been? How have you been? How's life? Because listeners may not know this, but this is the first episode we're actually doing since the other episodes come out, didn't they? Yeah, it is. It's a bit um, meta, isn't it? Now we're out in the world and we're recording again. We actually haven't seen each other for over a month. Um, so yeah, life is good. Week's been good. Uh, lots of things up and down. Yeah, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> lots of things up and down. Sorry, I didn't know. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, we haven't seen each other for a whole month, have we? Because I've been travelling a little bit. Yeah, where did you go, Kane? I went to Ivory Coast in Africa, Côte d'Ivoire, um, and which was amazing. Um, shout out to the Rad family if they're listening. Um, and uh, then I went back to France where we grew up and saw my family, the little babies and all that. And it's just been nice um, having a bit of a break from work. Um, yeah, cause, I bet. Yeah, because I actually have a, I quit my job in December and uh, I'm a full-time podcaster. No, I'm joking. That would be the dream, though. That's the dream, isn't it? To just talk and get paid to be talking. But, you know, we will see. And we're here with our Prosecco. Cheers. Cheers. And uh, I've got a story for you tonight, which I'm quite happy about. I did it today as usual, but I had heard about them for quite a while. And I really wanted to do this one. And actually, this marks our first uh, non-female story. Oh, Wow. Okay, turn up for the VIX. I'm excited. Yes. So these days, whenever I talk about representation, right, in on screens, whether it's like films or a series, there's always this line that you hear a lot, right? Um, oh, there's so many more like queer or people of colour on screen. Like, who are these directors trying to impress and what are they trying to prove kind of thing? And that kind of comment always obviously gets my hackles up because I just feel like people who say that kind of stuff have missed the point. Um, the point being that there's always been a diversity of actors, artists, musicians, explorers, leaders, you name it. The thing that's now changed is that we're actually opening the door to them instead of just slamming it in their face or worse, doing everything possible to make sure their stories are forgotten, which is one of the reasons I decided to make this podcast. Um, and so today, Maeve, we are travelling back to the early 1900s to a little place you may have heard of called... Hollywood. And we're going back to Hollywood to reveal the forgotten story of Billy Haynes, a queer actor who was given a choice, love or his career. Amazing. Ooh. Ooh. A little, throwing in a little hook there at the start. Oh, hey. Get the readers, yeah. get tell. the listeners. Literally, in. you can tell I've done my research for this one. Um, <laughs> it even writes intro. So, um, as Breaking Bar tradition, here's a picture for you. Up. Ooh. Handsome Devil. Handsome Devil. Giving me uh, Cary Grant, kind mm. of uh, smooth uh, back hair, dark hair, wearing a little cardigan and shirt. Yes, I. Uh, piercing eyes straight into the camera. Very handsome devil. He is. Um, so, let's get into his story William Haynes. <clears throat> I've never heard of him before. No, 
Well, you... I hadn't either. And this is, I know they're all about forgotten people, but this one, I was pretty like, we should know about this person more. <laughs> anyway, so starting the story. Charles William Haynes was born in Staunton, Virginia on the 2nd of January 1900, though he claimed it was the 1st of January and that he was the first child of the 20th century. Oh, turn of the century, baby. I knew you'd love that. <laughs> Literally. I know. He was the third child of George Adam Haynes, a cigar maker, and Laura Virginia Haynes, nay Matthews. I thought you were going to say cigar smoker there. Yeah, that would be. I love it. Like not, professional not a job. cigar smoker. Professional cigar smoker. I mean, seeing people do them, it's like, how do you? You've got to be a professional to do it. It's true, actually. God, they stink. Honestly. <laughs> what, the people or the cigars? <laughs> the cigars, the cigars. Um, yeah. Um, so his two older siblings sadly didn't make it past infancy, and but his parents then had three younger siblings, making Billy the eldest. Billy was baptised and grew up as part of the Trinity Episcopal Church and would later sing there as a choir boy, getting his first taste for the stage. As a teenager, Billy became fascinated by stage performance and motion pictures and would spend a lot of his time at the local theatres watching early silent movies because, yes, audio was not yet a thing. Can you imagine? Yeah, this is literally like singing in the rain. Literally, yeah, it would be a rough time for podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) And also very meta that we're doing everything in audio now. Yeah, that's true. Mm. We've gone the other way, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, it sounds like Billy was out as a gay man from quite a young age because at the age of 14, he ran away from home with another young man that Billy referred to as his boyfriend. Oh. So it's quite easy that he's born in 1900 because I don't have to tell you he was 14. It was 1914. Do you see what I mean? For his life. When May we? Yeah. No. While I, was I didn't doing realize. The story, <laughs> while I was doing the story, I was like, oh, what year would have this have been? <laughs> I was like, Abba. I mean, of course. of course. Oh, that's really easy then. Yeah. Amazing. I never thought of that. Same like, um, here's a depressing is. thought. Well, yeah. It's someone who's born in 2000 is now 22. That's or in actually disgusting. Year. It's a, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's Honestly, guys, odd. when you pass 25, life just goes <laughs> like that. Anyway, back to Billy. It's um, been like four months. It's me. been like four months for you, yeah. Well, good luck. I mean, it's gone like this, I yeah. must say. Four months already. I remember the lovely restaurant we went to. Feels like a week. It feels like, yeah. So, the pair of runaways, Billy and his friend, moved... <laughs> <laughs> Does his friend not get a name? Mm. Do we? Okay. He's unnamed. <laughs> wanted to remain anonymous his friend his friend quote quote the pair of runaways first moved to richmond the capital city of virginia and then to hopewell a smaller city where they got jobs working at a local dupont factory which was producing nitrocellulose for 50 dollars a week the pair needed more money though and opened a dance hall which also served as a brothel talk about young investors wow 14 (laughs) Let's what, open a dance hall. That's mad. Isn't it? Oh, let's just do that. What is, uh, dare I ask, nitrocelluloid? Dare you ask, dare you shall receive. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm going to have to Google it, though. But I believe it's um, dynamite. Oh. Nitrocellulose is a highly flammable compound formed by nitrating cellulose through exposure to a mixture of nitric acid and sulfuric acid. Does that answer your question? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, used as a mild explosive used in rockets, propellants, printing ink bases, leather fishing, leather finishing, (laughs) sorry, leather finishing and celluloid. So basically it's a dynamite. Dynamite, you were right. Yeah. Dynamite. That's what they were in. That's what they love. Dynamite and dancing. Literally, dynamite (laughs) and dancing. Now, Billy's parents were understandably worried, and so, with the help of police, managed to track the two boys down. However, Billy had developed a taste for independence and refused to return home, but instead began sending money back to his parents to support the family. Oh, he Aww. did anyway. Yeah, he Bless did. him, Bless Billy. In 1915, most of the town of Hopewell burned down after an unexplained fire started in a Greek restaurant. Dynamite? <laughs> Could have been. I mean, <laughs> Who's been up to no mm, trouble? Who's been, you know, not safe in the uh, the safety hatches? 
<laughs> Neither of our sentences made sense. So. I know, but you understand, don't you, listener? Shortly after this, 16-year-old Billy moved to New York City and started working in a rubber stamp factory. Whether his boyfriend, the unnamed one, was still around, we're not sure. But then, in 1917, he returned to Richmond to support his family after their cigar business went bankrupt. Oh, no. And this caused his father to have a mental health crisis. Oh, Daddy Billy. Daddy George. His name was George. He wasn't well. He wasn't well. Not well. That's awful. Yeah, so, ooh, tough for the cigar business. Maybe people were like, it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it. it I don't want it. I want yeah, maybe it went out of fashion. I don't know. Did cigarettes hip. come in big? I'm sure they did. Did actually. a bigger and better cigar seller come into town? Yeah. Tobacconists? Find out next on Cigars Where They Come From, the next Breaking Bard episode. <laughs> <laughs> but this responsibility to his family actually earned him an exemption from World War I, and he made sure to stay with his family until they were back up and running. Oh. But Billy missed the big city and so returned to New York in 1919 and settled into the blooming queer community of Greenwich Village, which was known as a safe space for sexual outlaws, which included queer people, but also people who wanted to have sexual relations, which were seen as being outside conventional marriage. So that's even like having sex before marriage or during marriage or... Yeah, of course, pretty strict in those days, wasn't it? There was one way about it, and that's pretty much it. And this is where it gets interesting, and this story is, is really interesting. It's that... It goes into this whole thing, and we'll talk about it more later, but that basically before being gay, it wasn't actually a label. It wasn't a political thing. Like, it was, um, you had the conventional family, and then you had, which was acceptable, and then you had Mm. everyone else who did other things Mm. were just not part of the convention. So a lot of people could live, like, passing straight or whatever, and would have wives and date girls, but they always like boys but they didn't consider themselves gay because it didn't really exist as a label at the time you yeah, know that's really interesting. um it was more and it shows and proves to me that as humans we've always been super fluid in gender and diversity and actually the first people that put labels on us were religious organizations that othered us so this really talks to that and we're going to get into that a bit more in depth Whilst in the Big Apple, Billy worked a plethora of different jobs, including some time as an escort for an older woman. Oh. Little is known in the details of the arrangement, but being a young, handsome man, Billy then moved on to modelling. Very good. I'm not surprised, actually. He He is very handsome. Pretty sweet, yeah. Mm, Pretty sweet. (laughs) Billy became friends with many young male artists of the time, including two roommates. Yeah. An Australian artist named Jack Kelly, who would go on to win Oscars as a set designer, and a young immigrant vaudevillian actor from England called Archibald Leach, who would later become known as Cary Grant. <gasps> no way. But that's another story entirely. Was Cary Grant gay? Well, that's, this is, yeah. <gasps> so he was like, there are many, basically when I was researching this story, I realise there's so, so many of these um, actors. Dancer, singer, Hollywood yeah, actor. that were gay or had Just gay life. Just more expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cary Grant, I'm not, I was like, it's another story because I could do a whole thing about him. Of course. But just to let you know, he lived for like years with men, then became Cary Grant and then was married a few times, but still lived with men. There's Scott, this guy called Scott, who was his best friend, who apparently tried to kill himself when he, when Cary Grant got married. Like, oh I God. mean, there's, there's basically, as what? we will see later on, there's the Hollywood star that the studios are selling, and then there's people. And this is why it's so interesting, because these men that were, you know, virilized as, like, the male actors, the, the heartthrobs, you know, they were, they were, lots of them were gay or had relationship with men. Yeah, the queerness. Yeah, the queerness of it all. Why has no one made a film about Karen Grant? I would watch that. And if someone has, I'm sorry, but send yeah. it to me and then I'll watch Literally. it. Literally. Well, do you know what? I think that the people who did American Horror Story did a whole thing about this. That thing, Hollywood, that we wanted to watch. And it's all these queer people. I think this is that story. No, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. When there was a new Ryan Murphy thing 
a bit like American Life. Yes, and it was called Hollywood. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. And we never watched it, did no. we? We should watch that. And I think yes. this is their whole story. That makes so much sense. Right. That it's drawing a thing on that. And actually, going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, having the star and then the thing behind it. I mm-hmm. mean, I'd talked about it before, but Singing in the Rain um, kind of shows that or highlights that. So I remember that main they're meant to be this power couple i don't know if you see yeah. it uh they're like the star-studded couple and actually in the background they hate each other and she's like an awful awful person yeah exactly they were her. selling selling people selling a life right yeah so it's great that we've got onto that because this is the whole intrigue of all of this story yeah. beginning of influencing exactly yeah and the perfect illusion of social media basically mm. In 1922, Billy entered and won a Goldwyn Pictures contest called The New Faces of 1922, which is like exactly 100 years ago. Wow. And it was there that he was discovered by a talent scout called Bijou Fernandez. Great name. A very good name. Who promptly offered him a $40 a week contract with the studio, with Goldwyn Pictures. Billy then travelled to Hollywood in March of that year with fellow winner Eleanor Broadman. Eleanor quickly landed big leading lady roles and married a famous director. But Billy's career started off slightly slower. Mm. From 1922 to 25, he played mostly small roles, but still couldn't seem to quite break through. In the silent era, it was all about looks, right? And Billy was handsome, as we said, but also he had something different from the previous Victorian-style generation. Mm. He was very much a modern man, even in the way that he played. Like, a lot of people said he could be the Paul Rudd of, like, back (laughs) then. Like, cute, handsome, but also funny and kind of just modern. Not like, I am a striking man. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, not all kind of, like... Austere. So he was a very modern man and Hollywood didn't really know what to do with him. Um, But also that shows like he was a product of growing up in that like kind of more diverse, uh, you know, New York York City where exactly the 1900s and the roaring 20s, you know, this is when it was all going on. It must have been a riot Riot. in New York. So everyone was sleeping with everyone, cocaine, drugs. It was just like, it was a real first sexual awakening, I would say. Yeah. Then in 1923, he played his first significant role in the silent drama Three Wise Fools. The movie was a mild success and the studio soon saw his potential and began to build him up as a rising star. In 1924, Goldwyn Studios merged to become Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, or MGM, with Irving Falberg and Louis B. Meyer as heads of the studio. Is it the big one with the light? Yeah, exactly. You got it. Billy got on with Falberg, but disliked Maya. Mm. Billy was known as a fervent socialite. He would go around with this group of girls that he would escort to speakeasies, you know, with his girls. Mm. And he was known to date women as well as sleep with men. So it went back to this thing that, you know, he was an openly gay man, but gay didn't really exist at the time. Or at least it was the lifestyle. You didn't live the lifestyle because it was illegal. Right? Yeah. So you just were a man who had these pulsions or whatever. That's how society at least saw him. And and weirdly, I mean, I know that's kind of wrong on so many levels, but I guess as like as you allusion to earlier, it kind of highlights the fluidity of yeah. sexuality as well. You know, of kind of if many of them had wives, then it's because like well, it's it is all a show. spectrum, I guess, at the end yeah. of the day. And I do believe that the more identity, more labels we have. Um, it can, it's really good that we have them because we didn't have the vocabulary. So that, now that we have them, mm. I feel like we can all know and then hopefully we can go back to a place where we realise that everyone is just a person that likes what sure. they like. And everyone always says that, oh, but you don't have to sh- shove your labels in my face. No, no, no. But no, we do now because there's ignorance and there still is ignorance. Yeah, and you need to fight for equal Exactly. Once we get it, then we will know we're in equality, basically, when you can just be anyone Literally. and not get oppressed for it. Yeah. Like, if it's distinct enough uh, to discriminate against me for it, mm-hmm. then, yeah, exactly. you need to still fight for it and tell people it exists. Absolutely. So, this one time he was dating a female co-star... 
whilst also sleeping with Ramon Navarro, who was a famous Hollywood star who was known for his virile male roles as an action man. So it's just like, I love it. Another great name. Yeah, Ramon Navarro. Roll the R's. This rumour got out and Louis B. Meyer wanted to fire both Navarro and Billy, although at the time... At the start, he didn't even believe such virile men could be gay. He didn't know Billy was gay for fair years. Yeah. Because Billy, you know, camp didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. Then it goes back to this thing that the stereotypes are basically after this story, that the whole oppression comes from that. Before you were just a man who did what you want. Private life is private life. Keep it at home. Mm. Um, And so actually, when they first knew about it, they were like, oh, private life is your private life. It doesn't matter. And he just said to him, Louis said to Billy, oh, you've hurt me. Anyway, Billy didn't give a fuck. (laughs) He was like, girl, I'm having my best life. At the time, though, Falberg defended the boys, the other guy, the one that Billy liked, and Louis' anger passed. Then came Billy's big break with Brown of Harvard, a film that came out in 1926. In it, Billy pays a college student and a ladies' man who has a bromance with his college roommate. Oh. When life imitates art or art imitates life. It's the same, you know. Fitting. I love it. The film produced twice as much as it cost. And then Billy followed up with Tell It to the Marines, which he co-starred with Eleanor Boardman, the woman who uh, he won the New Faces competition with. Oh, no. Yeah. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. He's up with her now. You right, Ellie? Hey, Ella. She's like, Soon, Billy was ranked among the top 10 box office stars in Hollywood in the mid to late 1920s and early 30s. Wow. So, I mean, that's crazy that we've never even heard about. Well, to be fair, I don't know even like really famous people's names from that. I mean, Cary Grant is where my Cary Grant. stops. Well, Cary Grant, Frank Snatcher, yeah. uh, Hugh, Bill Crosby. That's about it. Yeah. I know the crooners, you know. Yeah, but... of course. In 1926, Billy met Jimmy Shields, a former sailor, whilst on a trip to New York. When Billy met Jimmy. When Billy met Jimmy. Oh, j'adore. Billy convinces Jimmy to move to LA with him, and the couple move in together and were living open, authentic lives as a gay couple. The studio even found work for Jimmy as an extra. How cool is that? Like at the time, they were oh, Hollywood's great. first open gay couple. The couple were invited to all the best parties and no one seemed to give a damn about their life at home. Billy's sarcasm and love for a double entendre tended to fly under the radar during interviews, but looking back, some of his one-liners said it all. When when a studio voice coach informed him his vocal technique was lip-lazy, Billy answered, I've never had any complaints before. (laughs) Oh my god! I would. They would yeah, ask. They would, would ask him, "When are you getting married, Billy?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm already engaged to a very unsuitable person, like or something like that." Like he would. He would just. And basically, everyone knew what was going on, but it didn't matter. So what changed? Well, Studio MGM boss Irving Thalberg, the one he liked, said in 1929 that the quote idealistic love of a decade ago was dead and that Billy was the new model of a male romantic star. Awesome. Yeah. Quote, William Haynes with his modern salesman attitude to go and get it is more typical, he said. And the 1930 Quigley poll, a survey of film exhibitors, listed Billy as the top box office attraction in the country, confirming his status as the nation's heartthrob. So he was basically the openly gay Ryan Gosling of the 1920s. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, Ryan Gosling. Hey, Ryan. Um, that's crazy. That's cool. And and I guess yeah, he was already at this point of stardom, and then just being open and confident about it. I suppose people were just drawn to that as well, and and they already love him for his film. So it's like okay, you just accept. Uh, you know, like a lot of people in the spotlight are. Some of them are known for being extremely kooky. Yeah, and that's just that's just like it. loved and adored. Although. If someone was that kooky on your street, then uh, maybe one may not be quite so kind with them, which isn't, you know, it's true. a good thing, but it's often reflected, you know. That is true. And basically, from what I gathered is that, like, they didn't, the whole world kind of didn't know because no one wrote articles about it, right? Um, but just the fact they didn't write articles about it, like, all the press kind of 
every all everyone in the studio knew it everyone who knew him knew it um mm. and he never refused it but everyone just kind of let him get away with it so yeah and it's this kind of that i guess was quite common at the time as you said earlier you know um behind closed doors this is my life and that's my private life and you don't pry into it and it, i guess in the 20s kind of tabloid media and all of that stuff didn't really exist mm. as much yeah. and so it's it's more of just yeah we as you said like you want to buy into that persona so even if there are rumors of exactly. whatever it's just like look well, the other way y- yeah you look the other way and don't talk about it exactly that's like previous generations tactics right yeah <laughs> suppression exactly. literally and it's like oh but we're not oppressing you we're just suppressing our you. emotions yeah. about you yeah ridiculous don't tell us though because then we'll have to do something about it exactly but if you don't say anything then we're good yeah Yeah. (laughs) so billy's success continued when the world of cinema changed forever by transitioning to talkies or talking films yeah this is must have shaken up the board yeah and sorry to be obsessed with singing in the rain you love singing in the rain i do it's one of my favorite films and also it's yeah, probably it is my great. only reference to this yeah. time period, and it's literally about the transition to talkies. Yeah, and how you know it must have shaken up so many actors' lives in both ways. Like if all you managed to get out of it was you look really hot and or you know you play the part well visually, but then you're like a bit of a dum dum or shit at remembering lines or um, have a horrible voice you know like you might not be portrayed in the same way under talkies and vice versa like someone who may have looked like not come across so well on image but have a wonderful kind of yeah uh delivery of course you know it gives it's a it's a second duality that it adds to and um billy was actually given elocution lessons were as were a lot of the actors at the time yeah because yeah and actually it's really funny he said Billy successfully adapted to the new world and described the coming of sound in films to, quote, the discovery of clapping in a nunnery. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're all so silent and then it's like, oh, oh, there's sound. I mean, kooky. I like that. I I feel like just in that quote, I kind of can see humour. Yeah. Um, You're like, it's not something we'd even conceived. Literally. Now, something that people forget about the Roaring Twenties, this is what I was talking about earlier, is that Hollywood, like Paris and other Western cities, had more open attitudes towards gender diversity and differing sexualities than we tend to remember. Um, Being gay wasn't a political thing as it would become a few decades later. And exploring sexuality and gender identity was more widely accepted. And people had spaces to try out just new ways of living that kind of like broke off from the carbon copy of your usual heteronormative family. Yeah. And as you said, it's all kind of it was that kind of normal family model or everything else. And actually for then people's exploration, that's when you break away from that mold then Mm -hmm. it's almost Mm -hmm. more liberating because it's not you breaking away to then kind of be like oh this is who i am now it's more just like well hey now i'm free i can do whatever the hell i want exactly and i did feel like like when i came out as a gay man it's because that was the vocabulary that came to me Mm -hmm. you know and that was what i lived under that label for a long time and that was you know very fine and but I've realised recently, come out as being non-binary, that actually there's more to it in myself, in my gender and sexuality. They're not the same thing. Um, there's more discovery to do. And looking back at this, I can kind of relate that because there were no labels, they were all at least trying to be their authentic people. Yeah. Of course, they had to navigate that. Of course. But Billy did it, like, to just move in with a man. Yeah. And just be like, no, and never say, yes, I'm getting married to a woman or I'm dating mm. a girl. He never he never had a girl or a beard, as we call it, on the red carpet posing p- for pictures. He was on mm. his own if he couldn't bring his, you know. So for me, it's really brave because, you know, everyone thinks that queer rights started in the 1960s. But they've existed forever. It's just they were pushed down for a long time. Yeah. It goes back to the intro when I was saying, you know, when you hear people about being like, Oh, there's just more gays and more people of color on screen. It's I mean, like, they've no. literally existed forever, for sure. Well, of course, yeah. Anyway, we could talk about this for ages, but back to Billy's life. 
because of all of this, uh, you know, what we were just talking about, early Hollywood was a haven for gays and lesbians. And so naturally, Billy was open about his romantic relationship. And initially, it didn't seem to impact on his career or his status as one of the most dashing leading men of the silent era. There was no problem with that. Mm. But with the Great Depression just around the corner, I imagine, you know, the arrival of the Nazis and the rise of populism and fascism and eugenics and this idea that people are better than others and just this deterioration of of society Mm. in some way. People began to actively discourage these more diverse ways of living and head towards more conservative values because they knew they relied on the economy and financing of religious groups that they would have to pander to, you know? Um, The church has always had a lot of money. Sorry, church, but you have. And and so, you know, a lot of the time when the church, the church was the first one to say, hey, these are wrong. And so it's like, okay, well, yeah, we'll say they're wrong and we'll put up rules to do that. Yeah, and it's church and, and arguably the older generation who kind of saw younger generations having the best time of their lives and just like breaking down all these barriers and they're going wait hold on no we lived our lives oppressed under Mm -hmm. like different beliefs we want to like yeah get you back in check yeah you know exactly and you know you see that a lot even with our own parents Mm -hmm. you know you talk to them about things and they're like oh but i can't understand that and you're like well you can you know, and actually it's been around for longer than... You're not from the 1910s, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet, as we see here in the 1910s, it's what I love about history is that every time you hear about someone who doesn't define by, you know, society's norms, uh, they've they've always been here. Yeah. And their stories are so important because no one's had anything to gain by keeping them. So that's yeah. why you have to revive them. Yeah, um, and I was listening to this podcast the other day, a French one actually, called uh, called La Poudre, I think. Ooh, the uh, powder in English. Yeah, it's definitely got poudre in it, but I may have got it slightly wrong. Uh, but about transgender saints and how they've yes. already always existed um, and how some of the most well-known saints were actually uh, living as their um authentic selves their authentic selves and their chosen gender um and then were kind of almost reassigned by history afterwards mm-hmm. um and anyway in that podcast they said something really interesting that uh when more stories uh to do with women in history started to come forward and they found that actually women are more likely to find stories uh about women throughout history mainly because i guess it's more interesting to them and so maybe you're going to dig deeper and similarly um queer people trans people are more likely to find stories about that you know their own selves yeah uh, in a way and i mean that's not say anyone else couldn't find them but it is uh you don't go looking for them it's a common denominator and in recent like years there's been more and more research done into queer history um as well not only by queer people and that's what's really cool it's like it is all of our history because i do believe that everyone is queer to an extent um god we're going deep in this one i (laughs) love it um i think we need this episode needs a little uh top up of prosecco break i think so all Oh, wow. Is that nearly to finish? All right. <laughs> you ready, people at home? Christ, we did that in two glasses each. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pissed. <laughs> so, you know, the world was getting a bit shitter. <laughs> or people at least were yep. becoming a bit more conservative or mm. more aware that they needed to put clamps down on people's lives because that's always fun. Yeah. So... Unfortunately, because culture and society are quite often entangled, Hollywood studios began to follow the trend. Ooh. In 1930, the Motion Picture Production Code, more commonly known as Hayes Code, was created. And basically, it was a code to be the movie industry's new set of moral guidelines. What? Yeah. Who made this code? A guy called Hay. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's popularly known as the Hayes Code after Will H. Hayes, who was the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America from 1922 to 1945. So this guy was like, let's do a code and make everyone abide by it. Um, He started the code in 1929, but then by 1934, it was rigidly enforced in all of the country's studios. You're kidding. So all across the nation, there was this self-censorship. So he started this lame-ass movement. I'm going to write these codes. It was pushed by major religious, civic and political organisations who had always considered the movie industry to be a bit unmoral anyway. They're like, oh my gosh, you're sharing. Yeah, they're like, oh, here's where all the rejects and everyone goes. I mean, that's literally true, though. I mean, that's why. That's art for you, love. Yeah. Art is all called, it's, dif- it's, it's, it's difference, you know? If we all did the same bloody picture of a sun and like a boat on the sea, then that would be boring. Let's get Dali in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Melting clocks. <laughs> the list of rules were super extensive, but here are just a few of them. So, scenes of childbirth were never to be shown. <laughs> Sounds like a, a poem or something. What is it? Um, <laughs> a haiku. <laughs> yeah, haiku. Scenes of childhood. Scenes of childbirth. One for the family, one for the tree, and scenes <laughs> of childhood never to be seen. <laughs> Homosexuality was not to be depicted. Miscegenation, which is interracial relationships, <sighs> were not allowed. Adultery as a subject was to be avoided. Religion and the clergy could never be depicted in a mocking manner. Jesus. I mean, who? Yeah. And then the last one, and this is. (laughs) Oh my God, I just said Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, one that I put in that I took out was the words Jesus, my God, (laughs) damn, and Lord were not to be used unless to be part of a religious ceremony. Oh my God, don't say the Lord's name in vain. Literally. And then the last one, and this is horrific white slavery was forbidden to be shown or mentioned. And curiously, there was no mention of any other kind of slavery. So, any other slavery, you're good. White slavery. What the fuck? White supremacy is controlling our world and always has been. (laughs) I hate it. Fucking hell. I know. That's ridiculous. Anyway, back to Billy Boy. So, and with the... No, go on. <laughs> chaotic. Yeah, this we is need a chaos. We need a chaos, uh, chaos alert. <laughs> chaos button. A button. Chaos button. When we feel like we're a bit going too chaotic. Chaos. Chaos button. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll have uh, one in. Anyway, back to Billy Boy, whose authentic life was beginning to make a few waves despite his successful career. So Billy actually refused to sign the contract enforcing Hayes Code until they removed the moral values part of his clause. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so, and I may have missed this. Was it? It was legal. It wasn't legal, but was it like in their contracts? Like, how hard is this enforced? Like. Yeah. So basically, they would add it into every co- uh, actor's contract that would say, "I would have to follow the Hayes Code." Or motion picture production code. That's actually shocking that they put those crazy demands in people's contracts. Like actually in writing and you actually had to abide by those things. That's really horrible. Here's one example for you. Um, Because if you go onto the Wikipedia um, page of motion picture production code. Which sounds pretty boring. But (laughs) I did. And uh, in pre-code life, basically there's a thing that says pre-code. Um, Frankenstein, right? Yeah. Came out pre-code. Was fine. Then they did number two, the birth of the the bride of Frankenstein. They had big problems because um, the code said you cannot um, blaspheme God. And there's this line in it where he says, I have done it. I know what it feels like to be a God. To create someone. Yeah. They had to like bloody censor it or like... (sighs) It's terrible. And so there was this one uh, 18 second clip that came out in 1893 or 18 something. Sorry if I haven't got the date exactly right. But it was an 18 second film of two people kissing and uh, it was deemed um, blasphemic, um, horrific. And, you know, from the code says you cannot show kissing for longer than so many seconds unless it's like part of a plot and so they just censored hollywood and this lasted for about 30 years yeah and this is what we're coming back from i mean 
exactly. So this is why when people say to me, oh, we're really just adding loads of diversity. It should be like Google the Hayes Code. Google the Hayes Code and you will... And shut your trap. Literally <laughs> shut that trap. So. That was rude. No. It was, it's truthful. The studio agreed, but changed Billy's contract to a maximum of two years employment at a time when a, a contract was a f- standard five-year contract. Oh, jeez. And actually, throughout the years, he would have some little runnings with the law, like, was um, rumoured to have been arrested at a, um, at a cruising spot um, in L.A. Mm. We have no um, actual tangible proof of that because we believe MGM studios would just basically get rid of anything that happened. So they got rid of, like cases and and charges like that just to kind of uh, avoid bad press so billy basically got into some trouble um but mgm was looking away looking away but at the same time apparently basically um those two-year contract at one moment it got cancelled they brought him back but with a lower pay and was like oh we'll put your name under the title of the film started being just a bit you know yeah not nice bit smelly MGM reportedly thought about making Billy marry his friend and co-star Joan Crawford. Hey, Joan. Joanie. Yeah, who was not yet the huge star she would become. Crawford, who Billy had taken under his wing as a young socialite and apparently encouraged her to go out into the public to get pictures taken of her and stuff like that, paparazzi, also apparently got rid of her Oklahoman accent um, and basically was her mentor a little bit. That's what Americans are obsessed with, aren't they? Their accents. Like yeah. Anyone like set in sunset. Like, oh my God, can you still hear my I accent? used to have a Kansas accent, but I've lived in LA too long. Can you tell? <laughs> I'll oh, get the when I get drunk, it comes out. <laughs> Literally. When I get drunk, you can really hear... Sorry, Chris, Chriselle. Um, we're bashing Chriselle, I love it. No, all of them, they all do all it. They all like that. It's not just Chriselle, it's an LA thing. Sorry, girls. Crawford was apparently up for it, but Billy refused. He was in love. He was in with his partner. Yeah, well, Joni was like, oh, yeah. She was like, yes, girl. Hot piece of candy. Literally. <laughs> in 1929, at the peak of his stardom, Billy and his partner, Jimmy, attended the opening gala of LA's first non-underground gay bar in tuxedos. Oh, is there a picture? I'd love to see that. I will have to look, but I'm not sure. But I hope there is. But I will look. But I didn't find one. But how cool no, is that? No, well, not for you, but just like if uh, I think I will and our listeners should go on a Google journey. Yeah, go for a Google journey for all of this stuff, honestly. <laughs> but how cool is that? Like, he, he, like, because that's the thing with all this trouble that yeah. he'd been going through with MGM, who were being like, play the straight, like, Billy. stop, Billy. Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, I'm going to go in a tuxedo with my partner. With my man, Jimmy. With my man, Jimmy. And we are going to go to this bloody opening of a gay bar. Yeah. And I love that. Good on him. This was huge for queer rights, obviously, we think now, but it coincided with a wave of bad press that was attacking Hollywood, including sex and drug scandals, murder even. 1930 was a big year in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) It was rife. Although in the past the studios had managed to keep the lid on, in 1930, a new wave of newspapers, including The Hollywood Reporter... Tabloids. Mm-hmm, began to appear. Tabloids are here. Tabloids are here. We're here. We're queer. Tabloids are over there. They are. Well, no, they're not. I mean, we don't know. Well, actually, no, these were. They're just there to stir up well, shit, really, whatever. Exactly. They were seemingly obsessed in revealing personal details of celebrities' lives... Mm. And contained accusatory gossip columns, which would post celebrity sightings in gay bars and other immoral places to be like, oh, we saw that person. So if there was a drag uh, or a drag uh, queen or a female impersonator, which were really uh, kicking off in those times, mm. actually, especially in L.A., if you're in this bar, it's like, oh, well, you're you're a gay man. You know, like that's yeah, yeah, when yeah. the labelling like the that beginning- we were- it's like the beginning of prying into people's lives, you know, and it, 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 that shift from, oh, your private life's your private life to... Exactly, to he's a gay man. W- can I find out everything I need to know about this person and then slam them for it? Literally. And so judge their work on it. This, the 19, that's 1930. This is the beginning of, you know, queer oppression, I would say. 
because before it was more that everyone didn't know they were queer, they were just being themselves, and everyone was like, oh, that's a bit weird, you're a bit weird, but there wasn't an actual, it's us against them as much, mm. in some way. Um, so when Billy was reportedly arrested in 1933 after police raided a local YMCA in LA and caught him red-handed with a sailor, MGM had had more than enough. So him and Jimmy have both been arrested cruising. So, you know, as it is with a lot of uh, queer couples today, open relationships, which I think very, can be very, you know, healthy and happy if that suits you. And it sounds like Billy and Jimmy were, you know, just having fun. And mm. he got arrested in a YMCA. They, they raided it and caught him red-handed. That must have been hot. <laughs> Sorry. Sailors. What must have been hard? Hot. Oh. <laughs> Did you say hard? I thought you said hard. <laughs> I think you said it must have been hard. I was like, this what? is a history podcast, <laughs> but we are drinking Prosecco. Can I ask? Mm-hmm. What's YMCA? God, I don't think the listeners would have heard that. You whisper, Mr. Mrs. Well, it's Wh- more for you. I don't know if that. YMCA, the Young Man's Christian Association. Yes. Okay. YMCA. No, I know the You're song. Right. I was just like, I wasn't. I mean, no. and I have known it in the past, but in the moment, I'm like, ah, oh, what's that? Anagramageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Anagramageddon. <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Anagramageddon. Chaos magic. Uh, chaos. <laughs> Chaos button. Um, what's that anagram? I just um. And I just said it so beautifully. Young Men's Christian Association. It was founded in eighteen something. Wow, God, I remember. And what they just—it's just like for young men, I guess, to keep them out of trouble. Uh, it was like a young men's club that you go and box and do stuff. It was like a Saturday fit. Like a, yeah, a bit like a, a space. A, a activities group. A te- kind of activities thing. group for okay. young men. Sure. Probably in the whole like, oh, men, if you don't entertain them, they'll kill people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Said in a comedic yet very true way. Oh, dear. Um, so. Oh, Jesus, Faye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it is very. Now the next. Jesus, very hatred of alcohol. We need to stop, right? Three. Now, the next part of the story has several versions, and it's kind of like the peak of the story. But it's still very much debatable as well. Right. Upon hearing this incident. Sorry. Upon it, <laughs> oh my! Oh, great! I've got some funny laughs in this. I'm getting oh, a yeah. hot flush. Oh, me too. <laughs> right in the cheeks, Jesus. <laughs> Upon hearing the incident, oh, I'll let you. No. Sorry. Upon hearing this last incident, the studio's head, Louis B. Mayer, reportedly demanded to see Billy in his office and gave him an ultimatum. Oh no. Either choose his career and commit to a sham marriage with a woman or choose his relationship with his partner, Jimmy Shields. It's reported that Billy simply responded with, I am married, and (gasps) left the office. Oh, I'm clutching my heartstrings. Literally. Billy and Jimmy forever. Billy and Jimmy carved in a tree. In it. In a love heart. Oh, they'd have a, um, what's it, camera? A lock. They'd have a padlock of with their initials on it on that bridge in Paris. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every bridge in the world. There's lots of bridges in the yeah, world. Yeah, Poland you know, as well. Many, many, many. Uh, somewhere in Poland? I think in Marburg as well, actually. Oh, really? Where I was in Germany. Oh, bridge. yeah. Any bridge, <laughs> there'll be one. So... It's debatable because at the time, Billy's star was beginning to fade. MGM was paying him less than before, as I mentioned. His name had been demoted, etc., in some way. And a friend of his, um, Anita Page. Anita Page? That's a great (laughs) drag name! In it! Anita Page. (laughs) Anita Page. (laughs) So it's debatable because um, Anita Page... Great drag name. Great drag name. One of Billy's friends and co-stars mentioned that Billy one day proposed to her. And I think that might have been his, like, desperate attempt almost to pander to the pressure that oh, he was getting, you know. Okay. MGM was like, you're not bringing enough money anymore. Your peak has unpeaked. 
And yeah, you need to play the game kind of thing. And you're getting in trouble. Let's do that. And he was like, no, I won't do it. Joni Crawford, he was like, no, babe, sorry, I love you so much, but no. And basically this shows that he got to a point where he was like, okay, maybe That's I'll him. marry. That's Apparently that was also because Jimmy got arrested because of cruising one day and um, was in dire straits. And so he was just a bit like, oh God, I'm the one who's bringing the cash in. I mean, it's horrible because like the we're pressure. talking about just going out, like just exploring your sexuality. Yeah. And that's a crime that would literally can financially ruin your life. So that's why people are like, you know, Diddy. But anyway, Anita went to Louis B. Meyer the the boss and told him oh billy proposed to me apparently louis said but do you know what he is and she said he's my friend oh. i know all i know is that he's my friend and he asked me to do that oh. sweet in the end anita refused but remained friends and I need what tissue <laughs> <laughs> That was great. Anyway, whatever the... Str- <laughs> <laughs> that was too good. In the end, whatever the true story was, um, after playing in over 50 films in just 12 years for MGM Studios, Billy was fired and released from his contract. He no, fired. he did 50. That's he did 50 films, over 50. I counted them myself. I got up to 52, 53. It's like his Diamond Jubilee. In in 12 years. And at the start, you know, there were silent so films. so many. <gasps> He made a few minor films after that at smaller, low-budget oh. studios, which we actually called Poverty Studios. Oh, that's a bit rude. Yeah, Poverty Row Studios, sorry. Um, but soon he retired from acting. Oh. His final films, Young and Beautiful and The Marines Are Coming, were made in 1934 with mascot pictures. But his story is not over, Maeve. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. There's more? There is always more. Billy and Shields swapped the curtain call for actual curtains and became Hollywood's most sought-after interior decorators and <laughs> antique dealers. You're kidding me! No. Oh, that's great! What a switch? Yes, I. All right, like, made yes. the most of it. Look, I have a bit of knowledge. I have a good eye. Mm-hmm. Look, I've been doing it for all my friends for years anyway because they have no taste. Literally, why don't you pay me for it? I'm going to make a business. Can you guess who was among their uh, first early clients? Joni. Joan Crawford and Ooh. other friends and former colleagues such as Carol Lombard, Marion Davies and George Cukor. Also, did you know he was in a film with uh, Charlie Chaplin? Was our that. Billy, you know. Was so great Billy? things, great things. So he got into that new, he pivoted towards this new career with Shields in L.A. Now, according to Town and Country magazine, Billy became so well known in Hollywood that directors started incorporating his aesthetics into their films. <gasps> and you can see some of his personal art collection hung on the walls of Gone with the Wind's fictional plantation called Tara. The building's called Tara. Well, he's like a film stager. Yeah. But also, Ooh. maybe that might have been. Do you think. I wonder what that felt for him. Because maybe he'd like moved on and he's like, I love being an interior decorator now. But. Was it painful to still be involved in film and to go onto film sets and have to set up all the um, looks and stuff and then, you know, be reminded that you lost your career over who you are? Well, great question, because Billy did continue to receive offers from studios or films um, or cameos in series, but he would decline them. Oh. And he was quoted saying, it's a rather pleasant feeling of being away from pictures and being part of them, because all my friends are. I can see the nice side of them without seeing the ugly side of the studios. Oh, so I'm so happy for him. He was That's still like... in the Hollywood, he was still in the Hollywood vibe. He just was yeah. like, no, I chose my love. He yeah, chose I his got love to be in Hollywood, but chose love and, you know, still gets to be involved in film, didn't have to lose that completely, still managed to make a career for himself, mm-hmm. uh, but just not in the spotlight anymore. And what a career. Billy and Jimmy even decorated the home of future president and first lady Ronald and Nancy Reagan when Reagan was governor of California. Oh. Yeah. So now Billy's film career may have been over, but the drama sadly was not. Oh, no. I thought Billy was off to live happily ever after with Jimmy. Well. In 1936, a mob of white supremacists called the White Legion dragged the two men from their home in Manhattan Beach and severely beat them. 
The two men recovered, but were naturally shook. Horrific. <sighs> Horrific. Now, the reason behind the beating is that Billy's neighbour accused the couple of propositioning his young son. It was then found out that the charges were unfounded and the kid had been chasing Billy and Jimmy's dog on the beach. They offered him six cents to leave their puppy alone, which was then misunderstood and obviously, you know, preyed upon as a proposition. The beating was widely reported at the time, but Manhattan Beach Police never brought charges to the group. Oh my God. It's just... That actually makes me feel sick. That's yeah. horrible. Like, they're just doing their own little thing... And they get charged for being paedophiles. Like that quote before, where he was living his little life. Yeah. It's just so sad because, you know, that's it. It's always a fight. Their neighbour, you know. Yeah. And then they managed, they were charged. And then they were, oh, actually, there's no proof. There's no whatever. And then the others that beat them, there was blimmin' proof. There was literal bloody proof and nothing happened. And it's a story told and told again, unfortunately. Yeah. So then Billy was sent to war during World War Two. <laughs> oh, fucking hell! <laughs> My heartstrings. I know. I, I forgot there was a war coming. Literally. <laughs> isn't it? Like 30s. Well, yeah. In what year? 42. Uh, he was sent during World War Two. I'm not sure oh, of the actual year. You said World War Two. I just remembered two. I was like, gotcha. two. Sent in World War Two. But he survived, and upon his return, the couple settled into the Hollywood community of Brentwood. Have a nana, Brentwood. Brentwood. Yes, Lana. Dun dun, have a dream for the beginning that I wanted back. Love it. Their business continued to prosper until their retirement in the early 70s. That's good, at least. He really popularised um, painting... Uh, wallpaper so actually hand painted wallpaper oh really yeah well I never yeah cool. which is pretty cool I'm so glad he made it to retirement yeah Jimmy and Billy remained together for 47 years wow and were Hollywood's first openly gay union really really <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry of course, at the time, same-sex marriage was illegal. But Joan Crawford, who considered him, you know, a mentor, is quoted as calling them, quote, the happiest married couple in Hollywood. And he famously said, we're married. Like, I'm already married, he right? Did. In one of his yeah, interviews. exactly. Oh, I reckon they had a little ceremony, right? I'm sure they did. With all their little friends. Oh, God, yeah. Like hand fasting. And said their vows. <laughs> said their vows. God, honestly, it's, just, uh, mate, mate. it's emotional. We haven't <clears throat> respected the Hayes uh, Code, have we, tonight? No, fuck the Hayes Code. Jeez. It was dropped in the 70s when they were like, uh, uh, these cra- these films are crap. Do you no, know we, what happened? I mean, also, yeah, how can you, like, express art and, uh, you know, make people think and push the boundaries of things? Even, like, Frankenstein was, you know, that's why we still study that book. It's because it was literally... Mary know, Shelley, too. ...shaking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, well, of it's precisely... Precisely. Uh, ...shaking up the definitions of, you know, society and Christianity and mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. And so why would you want to go back to that? Why That's the you? point of, yeah. And also, apparently, one of the reasons why the code was dropped was because theories started coming up. And theories were oh, really? not at all under any of those codes. Oh. So they started, you know, telenovela. It's all about the adultery. It's yeah. all about the crazy things. Look at EastEnders. It's all about, oh, uh, I'm getting married to someone who's actually a dog. You know, it's like any new thing, they will, it, it's there in the, in the storylines. They will do anything. So this was literally 30 years of just putting blinders on the artistic community of Hollywood. Mm, Yeah. Um, Well said. Thank you. I am the host. (laughs) (laughs) Chaos magic. Then, on December 26th, 1973, Billy passed away from lung cancer in Santa Monica, California. And he was 73. Literally, I was just seeing that it was written at the age of 73, but I was thinking, I don't need to add that. <laughs> Bless him. Oh, no, lung cancer. I bet it was a smoker. Oh, well, his dad was a cigar maker, famously. Famously. Oh. Bless his heart. And now it gets sadder. I'm sorry. Oh. But a couple months later, in March 1974, Jimmy Shields put on Billy's pyjamas 
took an overdose of sleeping pills and died in his sleep. A suicide note was found next to his bed reading, Goodbye to all of you who have tried so hard to comfort me in my loss of William Haynes, who I have been with since 1926. I now find it impossible to go it alone. I am much too lonely. It's no good without Billy. <laughs> Sorry. I could actually cry. I'm actually crying. Oh, that's so sad. It's so sad. I actually cried when I was doing the story at that I bit. That's so sad. And apparently Joan Crawford really, like, tried everyone... Tried he looked after him... His, all his life. All his life. They he were was together. Like, he gave up his career for Jimmy. He was there. They were decorators together. Billy and Jimmy. It's just so sad. And he, he was just like, no. Determined that he couldn't live without his love. So beautiful. They were buried side by side in Woodlawn Memorial Cemetery in Santa Monica, where they still are, which is really beautiful. If any of our listeners go to Santa Monica, you should go and visit their grave. And you know we will. Give some little flowers and maybe a nice little piece of wallpaper that we've painted ourselves. Billy was awarded a Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame for his contribution to the motion picture industry that you can go and see. And I invite all of our listeners to go and see it because obviously he made a huge impact during a really transitional time. Yeah. In both queer rights, both uh, queer oppression and, you know, movies going from silent movies to talkies, as they called them. Yeah, just like all around... All round, just lived That's in a amazing. really interesting time. It is, it really is, isn't it? I mean, lots of shaking up. And so that is the forgotten story of America's queer silent movie heartthrob, Billy Haynes, who chose love over his career at a time when just being his authentic self was a brave yet dangerous thing to do. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, wow, this is a draining one. This actually, that got me really emotional. Me too. Um... Wow, that ended on a downer. I mean, I was like, yay, he's made it to retirement. I mean, we've got to remember the positives of their lives. You have to. Poor like, Jimmy. Jimmy, darling. Oh, Jimmy, darling. I'm just going to give him a little hug. And I think this story is even more important when you're confronted with the fact that today there is not one openly gay leading man in Hollywood. <sighs> you know? Um, there's not even a gay footballer who is still active that is out un- until actually, no, maybe one came out recently. But a lot of them wait until their retirement. Yeah. This man lived with his, you know. It's like so- Sense8. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I never watched Sense8. You never I- watched Sense8? No, and you've told me to. Oh, but- it's a pity. Yeah, it's quite good. It's all right. Um, okay. oh, I don't get the reference. But yet. there's a, well, there's a character in it who's Spanish, very hot. Um, who's an actor and who's Ooh. gay and who plays the leading man and all his producers and everyone are telling him, like, basically, you can't be out um, and be the leading action star dude. Like um, Ramon Navarro. Literally, like Ramon. Hottie. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's this whole battle, like, emotionally for him of, like, well, but what? Like, I'm discovering who I am and also I can't be that for... You know, what it's, yeah, all to do with this, like, image of what the perfect man is, you know. Of course. And, um, Toxic masculinity. Yeah, and, like, writing things that are written for men. And, you know, like, many, many films and series written by men are for men. And uh, I guess probably is links to queer people as well. Yeah. But, like, there's often things like women are written through a, a male gaze mm-hmm. are different to mm-hmm. women written through a female gaze. Definitely. Because it's kind of through a male gaze is literally like the female character is only there as a service to, you know, be eye candy or whatever. Or imagining like, oh, maybe this is what girl thinks. Like they always think about their boobs and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure there's like similarities. Of course. And the thing is, like for years and years, like even his own boss didn't know he was gay. So like he wasn't camp. Like it was he could yeah, play. Yeah. He played straight romance roles. But Fine. it's all that thing of what you were saying, that stereotype of camp. And, and it's so sad that, that, that was it's kind after. of it's as if it's, like, it, it's it basically took... saying, you, you know, you're an amazing actor. You can play all these like, uh, let's say, action people, you're a leading man. You, you know, people look up to all the characters you play. And yet. You know, if you come out, 
it's basically saying that means all of that means nothing. Yeah. And all of your talent and everything that you've literally shown people for years yeah. means nothing because... You're no longer desirable to half of the yeah, other population. Yeah, and how can that be? It can't it's be, and like, it's not. How does that, why if does Timothy Chalamet was gay... Uh, every single person would be in love with him. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are these people, and we have that, where it's like, you've got loads of, you know, queer people that, like, fangirl about this one straight actor, or, you know, and then also women. It's like, if one came out, then, you know, you're still attracted. You're still attractive. You're still, like... Yeah. No, it's really... It's an interesting... It's just really interesting, I think, to think that all of this existed... A hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... Well, and, and queer does... Like, queer doesn't mean not masculine. Like, that's the mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. kind of like you can be that's virile it. and sexy. Exactly. And, and like, be gay, which I am literally. every day. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I'm well rough and tough. <laughs> mask for mask. Um, but it's all about stereotypes, isn't it? And, like, how we all kind of self... Um, like everyone self teaches themselves to fit themselves into a mold to conform with who they think they're supposed to be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a deep one. Uh-huh. Now, I'd like to, as always, thank my sources. MGM's uh, You Must Remember This Podcast, where they tell forgotten Hollywood stories. Um, Amazing. A, yeah, really cool. A pink news article. Uh, William Haynes' Wikipedia page, uh, the Legacy Project Chicago site, which has an article about his life, and extracts from William J. Mann's biography of William Haynes called Wisecracker. And to finish, I'd like to show you two pictures. The first one is Jimmy, who's on your right, and Billy on his left. Look how happy they look. Look how happy they look. They were angels. Well, Jimmy doesn't look that happy, to be fair. Yeah, but he's 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 a stern one in the you know you can't be a well he was an extra he was the extra yeah 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 so you got uh Billy on the left who's like all smiling looking happy Jimmy on the right crossing his arms and to be fair he doesn't look not ha- well he's got a straight face but you know maybe there's an inkling of a smirk there like he's yeah. just about to smile but they're sitting next to each other and that's cute. And then below is Joan Crawford, our lovely lady, and Billy, her friend. Oh, cute. They look really cute as well. I must say, I mean, eyebrows have done a full 120 since... Wow, yeah. 180, is that the 180, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I must say, eyebrows have done a real 180 Mm -hmm. since then. Uh, Her eyebrows are small. Yeah, very small. Very, very small. We have now gone into... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> takes up half your forehead territory. literally which I mean, i'm not the biggest fan of i must admit yeah but then look at this picture i mean i would say obviously there's a middle to be there's found but this is the other extreme found. and i do not i yeah, would rather either. too much than too little bless him so there you go i hope you enjoyed episode five the story of william haynes hollywood's forgotten gay heartthrob i really Really did. Thanks so much, Kaylee. Thanks for coming again. And thanks to this bottle of Prosecco that we've managed to drink, just you and I, in an hour. Wow. Wow. Now, <laughs> chaos. Chaos magic. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. I hope you enjoyed the episode at home. And don't forget to check out our socials at Breaking Bard on Instagram breakingbardpod at gmail.com to send us your uh, suggestions and uh, yeah just breaking bard anywhere you can write it and i hope to see you next time bye bye see you next week see you next week now that we're breaking bard now that we're breaking bard